Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM, Progress After Dark, Channel 127. I'm John Fugelsang. We are broadcasting live from Los Angeles all week long. It's great to be out here. Uh, hello to Chris, our executive producer, coming to you from South Carolina, and Thea Harper, our associate producer from Brooklyn. We are spread out all over the country, still working remotely like most of us. And uh, wow, what a day in politics. We have a lot to get to tonight. Let me get the announcements out of the way. First off, the big show is this weekend. Stephanie Miller's final uh, sexy liberal comedy tour, Save Democracy edition. It's going to be live in L.A. at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills at 6 o'clock on Saturday. Why 6, you ask? Because it's also going to be a pay-per-view event. You can go to meathook.com or Sexy Liberal to learn more, but we will be doing the show live, 6 o'clock on the West Coast, 9 p.m. on the East Coast. It's going to be a hilarious show. I have, uh, we've done a couple dates already. We were just in Chicago two weeks ago. Hal Sparks and Frangela and Stephanie have amazing election year material. I can't wait to go this show just to laugh at their stuff. We will also be joined on stage by a couple of good friends of this show and a couple of good friends of democracy, the great Glenn Kirshner who's becoming my favorite legal analyst on all of cable news. And, of course, the great Rob Reiner will be joining us on stage as well. 866-997-4748 is our number over here. Guys, a lot going on. I need to know your thoughts. Uh, the Biden administration has released another bunch of oil from the U.S. Strategic Reserves. And uh, Joe Biden gave a real tongue lashing to all the energy producers for digging their hands into American wallets. Donald Trump sat for a deposition today in the defamation case brought against him by E. Jean Carroll, who is a friend of this show. We'll be talking about that quite a bit. Russia has declared martial law in the four Ukrainian territories they illegally annexed earlier this month. That's a great way, by the way, to make the locals like you. Ukraine officially asked Israel for air defense systems to counter the Iranian ballistic missiles and Iranian attack drones used by Russia in Ukraine. Of course, all along, while they're declaring martial law, they have their own Russian liberation front here in America called the Republican Party. And Kevin McCarthy has announced that if the Republicans take control of the House, they will cut funding. They will cut funding to Ukraine. Now, there's no one more anti-war than me. But my question is this. Uh, imagine if FDR had announced they would cut funding to uh, help the resistance against the Nazis. You know what? Why don't we just give Hitler the Sudetenland and then he'll be fine. Just give him that. He'll be satisfied. He won't do any more. Republicans like to throw the word appeasement around. 
right? You, you remember in the Iraq war, if you ever said, hey, maybe uh, we shouldn't go to war over a lie and kill a lot of people, they would say you were an appeaser. And then you'd say, what does that word mean? And they change the subject because they don't fucking know history. Well, that's what it is. What they want to do is exactly what Neville Chamberlain did for Hitler, which is, look, he's already invaded. Let him keep some of the land and then he'll behave himself. He's Hitler. He's, he's a man of his word. We'll be talking about that quite a bit tonight. Mike Pence, by the way, broke aggressively with the Republicans on this who opposed sending more military aid to Ukraine. He said there could be no room in the conservative movement for apologists to Russian President Vladimir Putin. Folks, it pains me to sit here and agree with Mike Pence. There's there's really not a lot. I agree with Mike Pence on. If I could have one wish of Mike Pence, I would tie him up and I'd actually read the New Testament to him. I don't know if he'd be a fan of the main character. But you, you've got the establishment Republicans, or as I call them, Republicans, mostly in the Senate. And they've really led the way in urging the White House to keep helping Ukraine in their resistance against this, dare I say, genocidal, illegal invasion. And then you've got the thirsty little bitches like Kevin McCarthy. And oh, he's so thirsty to become the most mediocre speaker of the House in history. Take a moment and imagine what it would be like to have a Republican Speaker of the House who's a revoltingly emasculated chicken shit afraid of everyone. Imagine if the punching bag of the party was suddenly running the House. Imagine Donald Trump's abuse. Imagine how long it would take for Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates to just, just, just excoriate their own leader. Well, he acknowledged this week they would not write a blank check to Ukraine if they were to take the majority. This is Kevin McCarthy, who's on tape. In 2016, saying he knows Donald Trump is being paid by Russia. Now, of course, he's an obedient, emasculated supplicant like the rest of his party. Pence was speaking at the Heritage Foundation, those lefties, and said, I know there's a rising chorus in our party, including some new voices to our movement. That's as salty as he gets. Who would have us disengaged with the wider world. But appeasement has never worked ever in history. I got to tell you, I'm... I, I don't know what's wrong. I'm agreeing with Mike Pence on everything. I'm suddenly feeling like a homophobe. Maybe I'm going to start calling my wife mother. Maybe I'm going to start thinking people should be nice to me because I didn't want to have a terrorist attack against the Capitol. Can we stop praising Mike Pence for doing his job? Anyway, seven of the 10 members of Congress who have publicly discussed Ukraine the most since the invasion began are Republicans who do support the war effort. So there's still plenty of Republicans like Pence who aren't willing to roll over and allow these phony America firsters to dominate the party's whole philosophy. But the fact is, Vladimir Putin knows he's losing. And that's why Vladimir Putin is waiting till after the midterms. That's his best hope, right? Once the midterms are over, Vlad's got a very good chance that suddenly the Ukraine resistance, the people who don't want his conscripted prisoner soldiers coming in to murder their families and rape their women, maybe that help's going to dry up. A vote for Republicans in 2022 is a vote for the genocide of Vladimir Putin. And that's not even what I wanted to begin the show talking about, friends. Of course, let's talk a bit about our good friend, that liberal, Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi, once upon a time, represented Hawaii's beautiful second congressional district. At one point, we talked about this last week when she quit the party. She had the voting record of a very progressive Democrat. In fact, she went from being a a very homophobic to getting a 100% rating from Human Rights Watch. She ran for president in 2020. And when she ran, she wanted to shut down nuclear power. She wanted to ban assault weapons. She wanted citizenship for the dreamers. She didn't want to ban abortion. She wanted to abolish cash bail and mandatory sentencing. 
Representative Gabbard was uh, vice chair of the Democratic National Committee, strong Bernie Sanders supporter in 2016. And of course, when she ran for president, she was included in a lot of the debates, even though she was a ferocious critic of some of the Democratic Party's policy positions. So I want to play a little clip, Chris, if we have this one that I sent earlier. This is Tulsi Gabbard. Okay, this is three years ago. This is 2019, running for president for the 2020 nomination of her party, talking about abortion rights. Congresswoman Gabbard, your response. Uh, This is often one of the most difficult decisions that a woman will ever have to make. And it's unfortunate to see how in this country it has for so long been used as a divisive political weapon. Uh, I agree with Hillary Clinton on one thing, disagree with her on many others. But when she said abortion should be safe, legal and rare, I think she's correct. We see how the consequences of laws that you're referring to can often lead to a dangerous place, as we've seen them as they're passed in other countries where a woman who uh, has a miscarriage past that six weeks could be imprisoned because abortion would be illegal at that point. Uh, I do, however, think that there should be some restrictions in place. I support codifying Roe v. Wade while making sure that during the third trimester abortion is not an option unless the life or severe health consequences of a woman are at risk. There you go. There you go. That was Tulsi once upon a time, right? Well, she was the only 2020 Democratic contender to criticize the House's impeachment of Donald Trump. Remember that? She voted present on both articles of impeachment. And then she left the party last week. And she said Democrats demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans. That's not true, actually. Democrats don't demonize the police. They demonize demons. Democrats demonize police brutality. That's what they don't like. And she says, above all, Democrats are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. No, that's not true, and it never has been. So today, just to show every progressive what a sucker they are for ever believing her, she went to Arizona to endorse former two-time Obama voter, former Democrat, now right-wing media monster Carrie Lake for governor. Carrie Lake said, "Uh, I feel like a rock star up here, Tulsi. Tulsi said, you are a rock star, Carrie. I'm quoting them because I'm not going to play any clips of their little appearance. Carrie Lake promoted hydroxychloroquine as a treatment for COVID. She promoted ivermectin as a treatment for COVID. She still promotes the idea that Trump really won the 2020 election. She spreads any lie that the racist, bloated former host of Celebrity Apprentice wants her to spread. She says she wants to ban the sin of abortion. As recently as this week, Carrie Lake refused to state whether she would accept the outcome of a free election. She said uh, she would accept the outcome because she was going to win. And she vowed once again to end reproductive freedom for all women. And Tulsi Gabbard, who once sat at Bernie Sanders' right knee, proved that, well, (laughs) ideology doesn't matter when you're getting applause breaks. This is right after she went to New Hampshire, where she stumped for the Senate candidate, Don Bulduk, who also wants to put women in jail for abortion. And she compared Joe Biden to Adolf Hitler. So there you go. Tulsi and Carrie, full insurrectionist, full terrorist attack on our capital, obstruction, election denial, criminalized abortion. Oh, and by the way, uh, she's also gone to endorse Blake Masters. Yeah. Remember Blake Masters? He's running for Senate against Mark Kelly. A lot we could say about Blake Masters. He's a winged monkey of Peter Thiel tech douchebag who, uh, revoltingly fake Christian who wants to, um, well, he talks about white replacement theory. He's actually pushed that disgusting white supremacist narrative so popular 
well, in the previous century in parts of Europe, this century in parts of America, that Democrats just want to replace white people. That's why they're so pro-immigration. This is all grifting. It's nothing but. And I think that Tulsi has been revealed to be as much of a grifter as Carrie Lake. Because when I met Carrie Lake, (laughs) she told me how she was a loyal Obama voter. And then she just flipped over to Trump. I said, do you believe in nothing? She does believe in nothing. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard, I guess, now is okay with lying about the election. (laughs) Now, liberals are mad. Oh, my God, liberals are mad. I was reading Twitter today. Here's one tweet I saw. Tulsi Gabbard encourages, condones, and supports election deniers. Gabbard, you have gone full fucking traitor by supporting election denier Carrie Lake. Democracy lies that people won't accept election results. But you know what's funny? The conservatives, they're mad, too. Tulsi Gabbard endorsed Joe Biden. She's against gun rights. She is pro-abortion. Why the hell is she in Arizona talking to conservatives? Guys, both of y'all, liberals and conservatives, you can calm down about this. Listen, and let's not even get into the Russia thing. I, I mean, well, we should mention the largest individual donor to her PAC last year is an apologist for Vladimir Putin who runs a nonprofit, the Center for Citizen Initiatives, that is there to foster cooperation between the U.S. and Russia. And Tulsi has long taken pro-Russia positions. She totally supported uh, the conspiracy theory with no proof that the U.S. was involved in biological weapons labs in Ukraine, which means all the rapes of Putin's troops are okay, I guess. You know, here's the deal. It doesn't mean that she's necessarily a Russian agent. And I know Hillary Clinton suggested she was without mentioning her by name. Tulsi sued her for $15 million and then quietly dropped the lawsuit. But it doesn't matter if she's a pro-Russian agent or not. She's, she's supporting right-wing fascists who oppose democracy, who want to put women in jail for reproductive freedoms, who oppose any kind of safety measures in a pandemic, people who still lie that Trump won in 2020. Guys, she can be completely wrong and backwards and regressive and thirsty and only about promoting herself and nothing else without being a Russian agent. (laughs) Having said that, she spoke at CPAC. She supported Ron DeSantis' Don't Say Gay bill. After being a homophobe, and then suddenly she's pro-gay rights and gets these great ratings from Human Rights Campaign, and now she's back to being a homophobe? Yeah. Because, guys, here's the deal. At this point, we know enough to say it is right and just that Tulsi Gabbard supports Carrie Lake because she's just like Carrie Lake. She believes in nothing but herself. Nothing but her own advancement, her own acclaim, her own illusion of earthly success. Like Carrie Lake, she doesn't want to be a public servant. She wants to be publicly served. She's just like Carrie Lake, which is to say the two of them are just like Trump, which is to say they're just like the modern Republican Party. Because in today's Republican Party, You don't really have to believe in any ideology, any specific morality, any policies beyond winning, power, owning libs. That's it. I mean, they say they care about a lot of things, but they don't mean it. They say they care about small government. (laughs) This is the party that always says they care about small government. Um, Ronald Reagan enlarged the government by 61,000 jobs. George W. Bush enlarged the government by creating Department of Homeland Security. That's just something they say. There's no group easier to manipulate than right-wing white people. They'll say whatever you need to hear. They don't mean it. They don't care about big government. They don't care about abortion. What, what, what? Guys, they don't care about abortion. They don't care about babies. It's not a priority for them. But, but, but they're trying to, they want, they want to ban it. No, they want power. They don't care about abortion. If they wanted abortions to stop, friends, they'd get behind birth control. They would support easier access to birth control. They'd support universal maternal care. 
if they cared about abortion, it would be free for women to have a baby. If they cared about abortion, we'd have months of parental leave. We'd have free diapers. We'd have access to free formula for needy moms. It's not about babies. They don't care about abortion, folks. They don't. They would fight for easier access to birth control and sex ed. No. Abortion, like saying big government, get some votes, get some donations. Well, illegal immigration, they, they care about the strong borders. No, they don't. Stop it. Republican Party does not care about illegal immigration. Some Republican voters do. Oh, yeah. Those good Christians who haven't actually read the Jesus parts of the Bible, they're furious about these folks at our border. But here's the deal. If the Republican Party wanted illegal immigration to end, they would start locking up the people who hire the undocumented workers. It's really simple. Supply and demand. They will stop crossing the border this week. If you start throwing these white motherfuckers in jail, like Donald Trump, but they won't because our economy has always depended on exploitation of marginalized peoples. From slavery up on, our economy is propped up by undocumented immigration. And if every undocumented immigrant disappeared tomorrow, <laughs> our economy would collapse. It would cost $70 to buy a salad. I know Trump supporters generally don't eat a lot of salad, but um, come on. They don't care about illegal immigration beyond using the fear to get the votes. They don't care about abortion beyond using the pretense of morality to get the votes. And they don't care about crime. What? That's all they're running on. They don't care about crime. They care about power. They care about using whatever's going wrong in society. You think they cared about Benghazi? They didn't care about Benghazi. Ask any Republican in your life who talks about Benghazi to name those four men. Those men's names don't matter to them. Exploiting the murder to attack politicians they already like. That's the dirty game. They never cared about Benghazi one bit, and they don't care about crime. Well, how can you say that? Because they're the same people fighting to have more guns in the streets. We see all these mass shootings, and what do they want to do to prevent them? Nothing. Well, they'll lie and say they want to have more, uh, more, more, more access to mental health care, but they don't mean it. They have a chance to vote on that, and they vote against it every time. They don't care about any of it. If they cared about crime, they would stop fighting for 22-year-old men to have easy access to assault weapons. They don't care, folks. They don't care about baby formula. Remember that? Well, we had a, 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 a vote in the House for $28 million for the baby formula shortage. Democrats, 219 voted for it. Republicans, 12. Lowering the cost of insulin? They didn't care. 220 Democrats voted for that. 193 Republicans voted against it. What about vets? They care about the vets. Well, we had a bill on veterans benefits. 222 Democrats voted for it. 174 Republicans voted against it. Well, they, they, they care about gas prices, don't they? No, they're slaves to the oil industry. We had the gas price gouging bill. So gas stations, not even the, the evil companies, just the gas stations couldn't take advantage of Americans. 217 Democrats voted to stop gas stations from oil and gas price gouging. 203 Republicans voted against it. They don't care about any of these things. They believe in nothing but themselves. And sometimes people like that can win. But as we know, it never ends well. It's better to believe in something and to fight for causes greater than yourself. Because when all you have to sell is yourself, that's not going to get you reelected. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. 
VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. And right now, my friends, crack open a fresca. It's time for Bob Seska. These fascists are grotesca with their vulgar Trump burlesca. Thank God we've got Bob Seska broadcasting from his deska. His humor is Kafkaesca. His height is statuesca. Like the top of Mount Aleska. Like John Podesta on a Vespa. But down that Putinesca, behave yourself, Francesca. It's a politics fiesta when you're rolling with Bob Seska. Welcome back, sir. (laughs) Thank you so much. Can I say again just how awesome that is? I just, I have to say. And, you know, if it was about someone else, I'd be just as cool with it. It is so great. So great. Well, somewhere there's another Bob Seska, and he'll be delighted, I guess. But it just goes to show what loneliness in a pandemic and a rhyming dictionary can do. So I'm so glad you're pleased. Outstanding. Perfect. Would you believe it's a bit harder uh, with the name Fugelsang and a rhyming dictionary? Kind of funny. But uh, who could have guessed that? How are you, sir? (laughs) How have you been? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm hopeful for the midterms. I'm feeling good at this point. In spite of some of the polls that are turning up, I think uh, we're uh, headed toward, you know, it's going to be a close race. It's going to be a toss up. But I Mm -hmm. think at the end of the day, it's going to land on the Democratic side. I think uh, we're going to obviously pick up Senate seats. I think it's going to be tight on the House side. We may be two or three seats ahead of the game when mm-hmm. all is said and done. Yeah, that's my that's my uneducated prediction at this point, right. John. Um, Bob, are you at all concerned that the Democrats are not doing well in polls of people who either have landlines or answer anonymous calls on their cell phones? Uh, at this point, people who have landline phones and are sitting home alone during dinner hours yeah. and pick up the landline or people who see a strange number on their phone and say, I should pick this up. We know those people skew Republican. That's pretty much all I know about polls anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know any younger people who are necessarily picking up a strange phone number that pops up on their telephone. In fact, I don't know a whole lot of younger people who actually talk on the telephone. And I'm not saying this to sound like a cranky old man. Oh, these kids these days, they never talk on the telephone. But it's kind of true. In fact, I'm 51 and I seldom talk on the phone. I just I prefer text messaging. <laughs> that's that's how I do things. So when it comes to getting a weird phone number coming up on your caller ID on your cell phone, yeah, the chances are you're not going to answer it, or you're at work or you're at school and you're not answering the phone anyway. Right. So hence you get a lot of older people responding to polls, and yeah. I know they try to wait for that, but still they try to balance things out for that. The pollsters do. They have algorithms for that. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it, it's got to be uh, a, a skewed 
number that you get at the end of the day with those. Well, I mean, you know, Kurt Anderson, who I who I love, um, tweeted, you know, this poll that showed how Gen Xers are really strongly Republican and weakly Democratic if you go by several recent polls. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that's because only lame Gen X people pick up the phone when a pollster calls. (laughs) Actual Gen X people really don't care about your poll and they don't care that Gen X is trending either. Yeah, and that poll that, oh God, I forget the pollster, where it showed that Gen Xers, by and large, were leaning Republican. I mean, far more than any other age demographic, even older baby boomer demographics. And that was discouraging to me, but not surprising at all. I mean, you're also a Gen X guy. We're both Gen X people. We know what it was like being raised Gen X, the experiences we had, the pop culture, the political culture, especially in the 1980s, was very right wing leaning. Uh, But I think there was a level of sort of fight club nihilism (laughs) that Gen X was kind of raised within. And I think that feeds also. We also had shock jock radio, which was a style of conversation that I think uh, it maybe evolved into something that we see now in the political realm where oh, yeah. cruelty is the point where, you know, bagging on someone is fine, even if you're sitting in the that's Oval it. Office and doing it. That's owning yeah. someone. So I wonder that's if that that's was policy. Part of that's it. that's strength. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're yeah. exactly right. And, and you know, I, and I want to just say really quick on the Gen X thing, then we'll get off of it. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever get a Gen X president. Um, hmm. We had three of them running. In the last cycle, we had, uh, uh, you know, Cory Booker, we had Kamala Harris and we had Tulsi Gabbard. Now, I don't want to waste too much time on this, but um, Tulsi (laughs) keeps making her way into my opening rants of the show, Bob, because she flew to Arizona to campaign for election denier Carrie Lake, who wants to put women in jail for abortions and for election denier and pusher of the racist white replacement theory, Blake Masters. Um, You know, I I just I just Bernie right now is trying to get the stench out of his room. That's all I can think about this. I I think it's perfect. I think that Carrie Lake and Tulsi Gabbard should do uh, a buddy show together because they are the same person. They will believe anything in any given election if it helps advance them. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of Tulsi Gabbard and people she's kind of palling around with now, now that she's made this obvious career move for the paycheck, which is normally why people make such an extreme switchover like she's done over the past uh, couple of years, but certainly over the past week. Uh, So I noticed that she was on the Joe Rogan show last week. Yes. And Joe was... Uh, lying about this litter box hoax, um, which yes. I'm sure you've heard that there's yes. well, the way he told it is I have a buddy whose wife is a teacher and she said she's she's got a student in her class who identifies as a furry. So now she has to provide a litter box for that child in her classroom to go to the bathroom. Yes. Yes. And that, you know, what, 1000 percent a lie, especially the part about Joe Rogan saying that it's a friend of his whose wife is responsible for this. You know, I I looked it up. PolitiFact, Snopes, USA Today, bunch of Fox affiliates, weirdly enough. It's all nonsense. There is no, (laughs) there are no teachers who are putting litter boxes in their classroom. The closest thing I could get to, John, was the fact that uh, some some schools have started to stock up on some cat cat litter in case there's a lockdown because of a mass shooter. Because Republicans are fighting to make it easier for 21-year-old males 
to easily get their hands on that's machines right. designed to kill lots of humans really fast. It all comes exactly back to right. this party. Yeah. 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 That's it. And Tulsi Gabbard was sitting right there laughing along. Ha ha. I can't believe that's actually happening, Joe. Oh, it's it's so terrible that there are these litter boxes in classrooms for kids. Oh, we're so woke now. We're having furry children in the school who are using litter boxes. Yeah, how woke we are. The the good thing about that, though... This is really about trans people. It's not about furries. This is really about demonizing trans people, continuing to punch down at trans people. Oh, of course. Whoever we can shit... Who's the marginalized group we can shit on? Uh, You know, it ain't ain't Muslims this year. Uh, It's. I mean, undocumented never go out of style. Uh, Refugees, (laughs) not really this year's flavor. Let's go for trans children... Uh, because mm-hmm. trans soldiers who want to serve this country didn't test that well at the hate games. So we'll go for trans children and pick on them. Yeah. The good news is, as soon as this was debunked, I know that Joe and Tulsi both quickly corrected it to their fans, right? Oh, yes, of course. Obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's because sure. that's what they always do. No, of course they didn't. Of course they never did. In fact, I think I'm the only one who noticed, <laughs> you know, mm. but because I think sometimes people, even liberals, take that as face, take it at face value when they see it come down on social media. It's not easy to take time out during your lunch break or whatever and go debunk what Joe Rogan said. So yeah. it's a bit of a challenge along those lines. And hence, uh, hoaxes like that end up living on as zombie lies and they never quite go away. It's really, really true. Speaking of zombie lies, uh, let's talk mm. about uh, our good, good friend Herschel Walker. Um, yeah. Bob, I, I know mm. you don't have a president, uh, a child rather, but I do. And uh, let me tell you how great it is to see a Paw Patrol badge making its way into a national debate. <laughs> uh, those Paw Patrol badges are so special for the kids. And much mm-hmm. like the pilot on American Airlines who gave my little son a set of wings as a pin to wear, Herschel Walker is a pilot now, too. Um <laughs> I was waiting yes. for Herschel Walker to hold up. I wanted him to hold up Patty Lapone's equity card and say that he's now authorized to play a Vita. What, what did you think about about this? I mean, people who aren't bothered by stupid are probably already in Herschel's camp in Georgia. Yeah, here this was a lot of fun for about 24, 48 hours. It, it really, really was. And the memes were, of course, outstanding. I mean, you got to love some of the memes that came out as a consequence of all of that, the badge and, and all of it. But uh, after that kind of wore off, became clear to me what this was all about. Herschel Walker wanted to change the narrative, change the conversation. This, of course, wasn't his idea. Mind you, this was his political staff, his okay. campaign staff, advising him to to brandish that badge during the debate with Senator Warnock and then to, to make it so that we're all talking about the ridiculous, fake-looking honorary badge that he got. And so that now becomes the conversation instead of the abortion-slash-abortions, plural, that right. he may have paid right. for. So yeah. it's another misdirect. It's another misdirect. Let's get... Let's yeah. get the this is what the GOP is so good at. And the Democrats yeah. fail. I, I think Nikki Haley is one of the masters of this. Back mm-hmm. after the uh, the shooting at the ch- African-American church by Dylan Roof, Nikki Haley found a way to make sure none of us talked about easy access to AR-15s by angry 21 year olds. Instead, she had us all talking about the Confederate battle flag. They find exactly. a great way to. Ch- I mean, uh, another Trump supporter takes an AR-15 and slaughters white people at a country music concert in Vegas. Trump made that a debate about bump stocks. They're so good at getting liberals angry about something stupid they do that we ignore the things that are lethal that they do. Yeah, absolutely. And so what this has done, it's enabled the Herschel Walker campaign to shift the narrative over to something that is beneficial to Republicans. One of their top shelf uh, issue areas for this campaign, which is crime. 
So Herschel Walker can now spend the rest of the campaign up until November 8th buddying up with good old boy sheriffs in every town he visits with his fake badges and they're going to give him fake new fake bat new honorary badges or whatever they are he's handing out fake plastic badges to his supporters so the conversation then becomes entirely about crime and and one of the reasons i i thought of this john is i saw um a study by a cybersecurity expert who determined that sometimes typos in social media posts actually in extend the reach and therefore or extend the engagement and therefore the reach of social media accounts. So if you put a, a deliberate misspelling in one of your tweets, people are going to jump into the replies and say, oh, ha, 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 you made that mistake. You, you, you screwed up the spelling of that word. And then suddenly you've got 100 replies, thus extending your engagement and the reach of your social media platform. So. Uh. I'm wondering if that if the the stupid badge stunt was the same kind of thing. Suffer the embarrassment for 24 hours in order to get us to a place where we can stop talking about abortion and the abortions that Herschel Walker has paid for and start talking about the thing we want to talk about, which is crime. And yes. here, here we are, or at least here the campaign is. Bob, at our final 30 seconds, uh, today Donald Trump had to be deposed under oath in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case. This is a mm. civil case, so if he pleads the fifth, they can they can use it against him, and she wants to have his DNA to match it, which could show that he's lying. Uh, my question there is, he's never going to testify for the January 6th committee, is he? I mean, I think we're going to see a subpoena yeah. issued by the end of the week. Yeah, no, his reaction to that, to say that he would, but it has to be on live television, that was a yes and a, and a no at the same time, because he knew that they would never accept that. So he gets to say, yes, I agreed to go. But the committee said no, because they don't want to hear the truth. That's yeah. his gambit in all of this to say yes, but at the same time to say no, knowing that they won't accept. It. It's like when you go to d- apply for it or you get a job offer that you don't want. So you quote your number as like five million dollars. <laughs> and so they turn you down. But you, that's what you <laughs> wanted in the first place. That's the idea. But- Mr. Seska, it's so good to see you. Thank you for joining us, as always. Everyone, subscribe to the Bob Seska podcast. Follow him at Bob Seska Go. Bob, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, John. Take care. We'll be right back in just a moment at 866-997-4748. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis. Go green with solar panels or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And welcome back. I'm John saying. It's time now for Headline of the Day. Today's headline comes from the New York Times of October 19, 2022. The clitoris is all but ignored by the medical community. Experts say that omission can be devastating to women's sexual health. In fairness, almost half of them can't find it. 
Speak for yourself. I'm John Fugel saying this is Serious XM Progress. We are at 866-997-4748. I am always thrilled when Professor Harvey K. joins us. He made a career at the University of Wisconsin in Green Bay, where he taught American history, politics, and society, and served as the director of that university's Center for History and Social Change. I've had the great pleasure of speaking at his university, and his students are as passionate about history as he is. He's an author of many books, including The American Radical, Are We Good Citizens?, uh, Thomas Paine and the Promise of America, And if you're looking for a great gift, I always recommend his essential, The Fight for the Four Freedoms, What Made FDR and the Greatest Generation Truly Great. Well, we're not just excited that Harvey's here to talk about politics, but his first book, British Marxist Historians, has just been reissued. I've been told that's not actually uh, about uh, comics. Harvey Kay, welcome back, sir. (laughs) It's great to see you, John. And and the, the... Entry to this uh, segment, uh, <laughs> that was a good one. Was that really a New York Times 1922? Oh, yes, it really was. Really was a New York, yes. Uh, I, I, I want it, you know, it's a whole article on the clitoris. I just, I can't find it right now, Harvey. This never happens. Give me five minutes and I'll, I'll find it. It'll be okay. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. Uh, it's a You're hell a of an entry You're a good to person. Uh, why am I do, history, why am I politics, and uh, whatever. <laughs> Well, Liz, I, I want to talk about your book. Congratulations on the reissue. Your your book, The British Marxist Historians, has been acclaimed as the first and most complete study of the founders of one of the most influential contemporary academic traditions in, in history and social theory. Uh, and I know you look at a lot of the, the greatest hits, Maurice Dobb, Rodney Hilton, Christopher Hill. I like his older acoustic stuff. Uh, Eric uh, Hobswam and E.P. Thompson. Harvey, let's go back in time to when you first wrote this. What was it that inspired your first ever book to be about Marxist historians from Britain? Okay, well, to make the very long story, which sometime you and I could sit down and I'll tell you the full story, but that would take two hours of your show. But more specifically, it had to do with the fact that when I was working on my dissertation back in the 1970s, and my subject then utterly removed from the stuff you know me for was landlord and peasants landlords and peasants uh-huh. in spanish america and uh-huh. and what happened was i found that the, the standard models of social science were too static they didn't understand the dynamic of history and the historians really weren't asking the, more, the most critical questions and there was a historian of slavery in this country named eugene genovese okay who I was in correspondence with and he said, you know what, forget all the stuff you're reading in social science and and history, read the British Marxist historians. So I started reading them and what they did really, which is that they showed the degree to which social struggles, specifically in their work, class struggles, but social struggles really did shape the make, it actually, they were history making that people had ignored them by writing history from the top down. And what they pursued was history from the bottom up. So as a consequence, Rodney Hilton showed the degree to which peasants themselves were not marginal, ignorant folks, but had aspirations and at various times organized either in resistance or rebellion and actually made a difference in medieval history. 
uh, in Christopher terms of, Hill, in terms of, which the, is amazing. I'm sorry, but I want to interrupt that because I know a little bit about Rodney Hilton. Um, and, and I mean, he's he's renowned for his analyses of feudalism. But when we think feudalism, we always think of serfs who are trapped in a world of no upward mobility. Um, uh, you know, this is what de Tocqueville talked about, how he had never witnessed upward mobility until he came to America. So I, I find it interesting that that it's almost like we're deliberately not taught about the resistance of the peasantry to the feudal system. Yeah, I mean, it's the case that when we think of mobility, we're thinking about it in terms of a society which is fluid and perhaps open. And it was definitely not the case in medieval England. But what was the case is that these peasants, often bound in serfdom, had means by which they could resist, literally resist, the impositions of landlords. And when the impositions became so oppressive, as in the case in 1381, the peasants actually rose up. It was known as the Peasant Rising of 1381. And though it was ultimately crushed, it really apparently did make a difference in the, if you like, in the modes of exploitation and oppression that peasants suffered thereafter. Um, The other thing was that the folks like Hilton were asking questions about what kinds of ideas motivated peasants to resist? And it, so clearly it was the sufferings that they endured and the exploitation that they would work, the lords would collect and live off their labor. But it was also the case that they had their own understandings of Christianity. So mm. they, they were these radical priests, okay, who became their intellectuals in the 14th century, who who led these these kinds of struggles. And I mean, it's it's not like history repeats itself. It's not like that. It's that for too long, historians had ignored the popular the popular questions, the popular struggles. And again, this history from the bottom up and hey, in I, every and their goal uh, as a cohort was to rewrite the English story from the bottom up. Uh, the one of their mentors, an older woman who was a journalist, Donna Tor, um, she said, we have to we have to write the story not about you know the 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 the, uh, the finely gloved noblemen we have to write it understanding you know the rough hands of the laborer and the degree to which those hands not only produced but also produced history and and as i said hilton was remarkable in that he took on i mean it's tough to write medieval history i i've not done it it's just really tough but but he did and then uh christopher hill they he wrote so much of so much value about the struggles of the set in 17th century England, which I will remind everyone is when the English taught the French how to take off the head of a king. That's in, right. In he, the I mean, he focused on the on the, the English Revolution. Right, the English Revolution, which which for generations historians in in England had ignored. The emphasis was always on the 1680s in the Great Rebellion, in which literally the aristocracy overthrew the monarchy and brought in a brand new monarchy. But but Hilton, working in the 1640s, in response to what was often called the Puritan Revolution, showed the degree to which it was a decidedly popular revolution that transpired. Now, I want to point out, to give you an example of what I mean, in the, in the 1640s, there emerged in the course of this originally, you know, the idea being a Puritan Revolution, there emerged a group called the Levelers. The Levelers argued that in the tradition that if they were freeborn Englishmen, which was often the argument that uh, that that the the aristocrats made in demanding their rights going back to, you know, Magna Carta, they said, well, if that's the case, then all of us should have the right to vote. It was an argument 
for working men's suffrage, you might say, in the 17th century, okay, the levelers. But then there was another group who said, well, you can't really have this kind of political equality if you don't have economic equality. So you ended up with a group emerged called the diggers. And they would sometimes, they would occupy the lands of of the lords and start treating it as communal property or, co- or collective or cooperative property. And, okay. and by the way, in each of these movements, there were writings and speeches and discussions. I mean, it was a, a real intellectual ferment. And then also there another group emerged, very much similar to life in the 60s in some places. They were called the ranters. They said, look, if, if, if God is universal, then he must be in everything. So whatever they did, they, they thought whether it was, you know, work or sex, God was in it. And uh, and they were known for bawdiness. And then, as one as Christopher Hill said, their bawdiness actually is a reflection of the aristocratic life that that was often enjoyed. Oh, yeah. And they just but I, having to said that, I totally to I, I I totally agree with their whole spiritual outlook. And I, <laughs> right. I, I found it interesting that that even though these folks were Marxists, uh, they did all uh, prefer a belief in the deity. Yeah. No. no uh, yeah. And then. In the case, say, of, of E.P. Thompson, Eric Hobsbawm, well, especially Thompson, who worked on the 18th century, and he was very much influenced by what he saw as these artisans' movements, these, these, if you like, well, the better off working class of the, of the 18th century. And the best way I can yes. put it is this: in the late seven, in the late 1700s or the 18th century, there was a movement of, known as radicalism, which united both. The working, the working class of the day and what we would think of as the middle class of the day. And they were demanding their rights. Once again, it was a kind of small D democratic movement that began in the late 1780s, in part influenced by the American Revolution without question, because the man who, be, who wrote the foremost document to inspire these democratic struggles was Thomas Paine. He came back to England and he wrote a very famous set of pamphlets in response to the French Revolution called The Rights of Man. But it was really a challenge to working Englishmen and women to challenge the existence of the aristocracy and make demands to create a new kind of government. And he actually opens up these pamphlets calling for, in essence, for revolution in England by pointing out that the model, the example already exists, most especially in what Americans have done to overthrow monarchy and royalism and aristocrats in America. So th- I mean, there's, in other words, a North Atlantic revolution that emerges. I, I don't think anyone would claim that E.P. Thompson began the English working class, but is it fair to say that he named the English working class? That he, he Yeah, defined? the title of the book, which, by the way, is 900 pages long, which was intended to be oh, the first wow. chapter so of a labor history read. and turned into 900 pages, was, okay. it was titled The Making of the English Working Class. And I'll also tell people, if they're hesitant to read a 900-page book, that especially in the case of E.P. Thompson and his older brother, who, who was killed in the war serve, as an English officer serving with partisans in Southeastern Europe, they both wanted to be poets. So... As they wrote, you actually could take their prose and turn it into poetry if you're if at any point you fail to make your way through the 900 pages. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's yeah. it's so I got to know them and I and they I, I they really transformed my understanding of history and all the work I've done since that book, whether it was on Thomas Paine, even on Franklin Roosevelt and the greatest generation was shaped 
by the questions that they posed in their writings and that they pushed. In fact, I can tell you each one in their separate moments said to me, stop writing about us and go write American history. That was how they put it. Wow. Uh, allow yeah. me to, to quote Marx, if I could, because this is why I, I actually was excited to talk about this book with you. I mean, Marx famously said, the history of all hitherto existing societies has been the history of class struggle. Yeah, and, and that is the proposition seems... that frames their basic understandings and the questions they ask. And the other thing, and the other thing I, I should point out is that this was back in the 70s. There was an understanding that had come to exist in leftist circles that what you get is a formula. And the formula was you have classes, then you have class consciousness, and then you have class struggles. But they said, no, you have struggles because people are exploited and oppressed. And it's out of those struggles that people come to a consciousness of who they are and what their interests are, which, by the way, is a challenge to intellectuals, right? Not to believe that they have the truth. Rather, they have to figure out how to talk to working people to engage their imaginations and their aspirations. But, you know, we, we don't teach this history. I mean, that Marx right. talked about. I mean, you know, Howard Zinn can oh, sure knew how to open a book with a chapter on it. But it's amazing that uh, I always say my biggest critique of the news, I'll believe the news is liberal when they actually cover organized labor issues. And uh, oh, it's not a big surprise. Yeah, right that now, you bet. I mean, try to find a labor elect- story other than maybe, maybe every like, you know, it may have broken through when the first Amazon warehouse was organized. But how many how much are they covering all across the country? The Starbucks workers and yeah. other workers who are organizing. How, how many times do we hear about down in Alabama, the mine workers who've been out on strike for more than a year? OK, I mean, do we hear about that? Not really. No, no, we don't. I mean, as I always say, if you ever want to go to see a parade in New York City without big crowds and without any helicopters or any media coverage, Try the Labor Day parade. You know, I mean, our liberal media does not want labor stories because our liberal media does not want to have to pay a living wage to union workers. And that's the greatest. I have to tell you, I have to tell you to link it to the the elections. I had lunch today with Randy Weingarten. She was here in Green. She's here in Green Bay to launch a 13 state tour. She's the head of the American Federation of Teachers to launch a 13 state tour to bring out the vote for the Democratic candidates who are desperately at this moment in these last three weeks trying to at least get something going to save democracy. Yeah. And I can tell you, my position is, if you want to save democracy, first you got to win the election, but ongoing and in the future, you save democracy by creating a vibrant, dynamic, and ever-organizing labor movement. I agree. I completely agree. So why was it important to you, Harvey, to have this book re-released right now at this particular point in our history? Well, I'd like like to say, well, it's the case that people ask me would I be willing to let them bring it out again. And I can tell you, as an author, it is very strange to go back and read a book you wrote 40 years ago and realize how, how analytical once upon a time I was. (laughs) <laughs> okay. I mean, anal- and I mean, analytical, I don't have those kind of analytical skills. I once had it's, or at least I'm not conscious of them. Right. And I'm more inclined towards narrative now than I am perhaps in terms of doing social science analysis of class relations and those kinds of things. But it, but it, right it was great to have it come out again. I mean, actually, this is the third edition. And, and it's, it's, it's a blast, although a little embarrassing to say, 
I wrote it 40 years ago. <laughs> Not at all. You should be proud of it. 900 pages? My God. Um, I couldn't see that far when I was in college. You know, I, I have to ask you, Professor, how, how's it looking with uh, the election in your beautiful state of Wisconsin? Are, are people wised up to Ron Johnson, or is Ron Johnson just flush with cash enough he can scare people about crime and guns and Mexicans coming to your town? Okay, so here, here's the problem. The Democrats have not run strong campaigns in this state. I don't know why, but they, I think it's the D.C. consultants. I, I blame yeah. it on the D.C. consultants who tell them how to campaign, and they have no understanding of the, of the fact that this is a state with a strong progressive history. And if you want to make history anew, that you have to be able to speak to what it means to be not only an American, but all the more specifically here in the state of Wisconsin and Wisconsinite. And I do not believe that the Democrats have done that effectively. However, the Republicans are masters of cultivating hate and fear. And whereas a year ago, the Republicans began running ads on the grounds of, well, the Democrats are you know, spending all our money and creating inflationary situation, dot, 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 dot. Don't send more, don't send you know, the Democrats to Congress, they're just going to create even more inflation. But then sometime late last spring, they, mm -hmm. the gears shifted. Once they knew they were going to have Mandela Barnes, okay, yeah, as the Democratic candidate, they shifted gears and they went for crime, the Black Lives Matter question, and they That's portrayed right. Mandela Barnes, uh, to use their terms, an extremist radical. Don't send an extremist who will he'll take away your guns. He'll they're going to release even more criminals from the jails. I mean, it, yeah. I'm not joking. I am not even exaggerating oh, for a I moment. I know. And this critical race theory made my son into a transgender. I know. I know all about it. Yeah. And, and it's, no, I mean, it's 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 literally I mean, I, even when I've got turned on the radio to take it and, and run it in the shower, I hear the same goddamn ads. You know, it's just yeah. over. But the Democratic ads are they're gentle. They're, you know, mm -hmm. they're they're showing Mandela Barnes shopping in the supermarket. I know. And I kept and I kept thinking, come on, start telling people these Republicans are I won't use the word evil because I don't want to bring God into this question. I agree. But it I is agree. the case. They're gonna take they're gonna smash Social Security. They will make sure women never have a right to choose anything, that they will literally abolish you think you think they're going to, you know, suppress the vote. They'll figure out how to never allow people's vote to ever count again. And by the way, I am not exaggerating. You know, when you and I, you and I have been talking on the show for years, and I would never have used the word fascist in the past, but I I, we are at the point now where it's unavoidable. It really, right, listen, truly is unavoidable. During the Obama years, I tried to avoid using the word racist. I thought liberals overused it too much. Now I think, no, uh, I'm not calling people bigots, but I, I will call them racists when it's fair. Um, so yeah. I, mean, I watched the debate. I, I thought Mandela Barnes took Ron Johnson apart. But as we know, that's not necessarily enough to win an yeah, election he, in this country. He, he, his performance in the debate was fantastic. <clears throat> the point is, this is, first of all, it's, it was on public television, and I don't yeah. know how many people caught it for a dozens. start. I heard dozens caught it. Dozens enjoyed uh, it very much. Jeez. <laughs> oh, but the other thing is, we're now in the last, when, they took, when that debate took place, we're in the last month, okay? And then, yeah. unfortunately, here's the other scary thing here in Wisconsin. People talk about, on the national level, the, the Barnes campaign for, for the U.S. Senate against Ron Johnson. 
we have a gubernatorial race underway where we have an incumbent Democrat who is a nice guy with progressive instincts, but he's not a dynamic leader. And since the Republicans have been in, in literally uh, they have a chokehold on the legislature, all he can do is veto. But think about this. If the Republicans win a supermajority in the legislature and yet a Democrat holds the governor's mansion, it's irrelevant that he's a Democrat because they right. will override the vetoes. I mean, I'm not right. kidding. Th this state is on the edge of a nightmare next four years. It, scare it <clears throat> scares the shit out of me. I mean, Professor, you know, it's no big secret that there's no group easier to emotionally manipulate in politics than right-wing white people. You can scare them quite easily and get them to do whatever you want and get them to vote against everything they claim to believe in. But let me ask you, I mean, how bad will it have to get before it gets better? I've, you know, Rod Johnson is as odious now as he's always been. He believes in nothing. He's completely corrupt. For my money, having interviewed the man once, he is the dimmest member of the entire Senate. Um, and I, I can't think of a senator who's, you know, more low wattage than this guy. How bad will it have to get, Professor? Yeah, just as a sidebar to what you're party saying, I do want to add, people say, well, look, he made years. a lot of money. Well, in fact, he married into it. Let, let's yeah. get that straight. It's, look, you know, you, you want to get rich. The quickest way to get rich is you marry into it. And that's what he did. And you are absolutely right about the dimmest. I mean, you've met some of my, when you came out to speak, you met students of mine who met Ron Johnson and came away the Republicans amongst them came away and became Democrats because they could not believe just how, how dim he, okay, how dim-witted he was. Wow. But anyhow, what will it take to get people to change? Well, it's going to take the Democrats to learn how to speak to them. And look, we've been on the show, Alan Minsky and I came on the show. Democrats right. have got to talk things like what you know, along the lines of FDR, along the lines of, for all of his other sins, Lyndon Johnson. We've got to remember that Americans do want Medicare for all, that they do want free public higher education, that they do want a woman's right to choose an abortion if they, you know, if, if they decide to in consultation with their doctors. I mean, the majority of Americans want all of those things, which means that the Democrats have failed to speak to their fellow citizens in a way that their fellow citizens will better understand it. I'm not saying they'll get, you know, the, like 100% of Americans will all of a sudden wake up. It's more the case of the Democrats have got to show not only that they understand what people need, but right. also that they truly will fight for what people need and to inspire people to turn out. I'm going to tell you something. Donald Trump, for all of his stupidity in one sense, is a brilliant political act actor. I mean, yeah. he sustained those rallies because he wanted to sustain the energy. And the Democrats have got to learn that they should have had Bernie out sustaining his rallies with young people and others. That's how you fight these hate mongers and, yes. you know, fear fosters. Our number, if you'd like to ask a question to Professor K, is at 866-997-4748. Harvey, we, we've talked about our fears. I would be most remiss if I didn't ask you about your hopes. What is giving you hope right now, and, and what are you hopeful here as we are, what is it, 19 days until the midterms? Yeah, well, my, my here's, here's the first thing. Today, when I had lunch with Randy Weingarten of the AFT, myself and a few of my colleagues from the university, we also had students there. And these young people, 
they really have it's, they are truly a generation and the trick is for us those of us who are older i mean i'm decidedly older for us to be able to to turn the energy and spirit they have into a vision so that they'll know that it's not simply a matter of fighting against the republicans it's a matter of fighting for something i mean i i've just That's quickly right. back in the beginning of world war ii the poet laureate of the, of the country and librarian of congress archibald mcleish said we've got to make sure that americans understand that when we're fighting this war we're not just fighting against something we're fighting for something and we're now fighting fascism and if that's the case let's make it clear we're not only fighting to resist we're also fighting to to make democracy not only viable but to enhance it we've got to enhance our freedom equality and democracy that's the only way you will save democracy fdr said it You've got to make you've got to make democracy a part of people's lives and you've got to That's make right. sure that they feel like small D Democrats. Professor Harvey Kay, it is always a great pleasure to have you join us, sir. Anytime we're always blessed. What is the best way for our listeners and assorted riffraff of the night to follow you and keep up with your work? As, as you know, I'm very, very active on Twitter. In fact, I'm only active on Twitter <laughs> at Harvey J K H A R V E Y initial J K A Y E. Brilliant. And once again, congratulations on the re-release of your first book, The British Marxist Historians. Some light Thank beach you, John. It's great for to guys see like you me. again. Thank you, Professor. Have a great, great week. We'll see you again very, very soon. we got to take our break right now. Be back in a couple, and it'll be your calls in the next hour. Comedy Daddy Keith Price joins us, and we are just getting warmed up on the news. John Fetterman's doctor says things are cool. <laughs> the fake Dr. Oz doesn't want you to know that. We'll be right back after this. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. This is Sirius XM, Progress After Dark, Channel 127. I'm John Fugelsang. Keith, we got a lot of people want to call in. Oh, groovy. 
We got a lot of riffraff of the evil army of the night that want to weigh in on the stories of the day. And I still want to talk to you about Val Demings picking over the ruins of uh, Marco Rubio's manhood last night, as well as uh, a little bit about Trump and E. Jean Carroll. But should we talk to some of the listeners? Yes. Stephen from Kentucky has been on hold forever. Stephen, you're on with Keith. Hello. Hello. How are you all this evening? Better now. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. Did you hear about Kanye's new rendition of Deedle 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 Dum for Trump's new campaign song? No, I didn't, but... (laughs) Yeah, I heard about that earlier. I think he's been eating too many of those chili dogs again. Now he thinks thinks Confucius is talking to him for some reason. I don't know. You know, he... You know how I Mr. Know. West is. I think he's calling himself Mr. East now, I believe. I think that's what he's going by now. Well, yeah, what, is, was, is, is Kanye going to sample the Sabbath prayer from Fiddler on the Roof? That's what I want to hear. Oh, Lord. Know. little boy, I carried. You, you I don't better know, it makes work. You go around, it makes you want to go down Pennsylvania Avenue, skip down Pennsylvania Avenue in the nude for some reason. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Also, by the well, way, with that, with that... With that beard and all the weight Kanye's put on and the way he's dressing, like with that babushka hoodie, he's looking more like Tevya, I want to point out. So who knows? I thought he was looking like Burl <laughs> And just personally, just for me, because we're talking Fiddler on the Roof, a shout-out to Danny Burstein, Tony Award winner, for playing Tevya Fiddler on the Roof in that last revival. Oh, Look, oh my God. He's not, no, but Danny Burstein is the hottest... Tevia ever. I'm just saying. Okay. But well, there, yeah, I that, you get the get the Broadway <laughs> distraction in. Hey, shout out to Topol. Yeah. Shout you out to Topol for being so. Th- th- shout out to Topol for being so great in uh, the movie Fiddler and for being the smoker's tooth polish. Shout out all around. <laughs> Stephen, what's, what's on your mind tonight, Stephen? For that either. Uh, <laughs> oh well, no. Martha Ray was Paladin. <laughs> Actress. <laughs> <Spencer Wheeler. laughs> okay. Do you remember the, You remember the? You remember how Letterman got in trouble? Because she'd say, "Hey, I'm Martha Ray, actress, denture wearer." Like that commercial was on all the time. One night, Letterman mm-hmm. comes out and goes, "Hello, I'm Martha Ray, actor, condom user," and she sued him. She sued him. I thought that was June, June Allison. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wanted to say a couple of things because you know, for starters, tonight. I take great offense when I hear Trump get up there and talk about rape in uh, the cavalier way. Oh, well, I wouldn't touch that woman because she doesn't, she's not my type. Well, first of all, yeah. honey, rape is not a thing about sexual attraction. I tell mm-hmm. you, anybody, right. anybody can be raped. And he doesn't seem to understand that concept. And I can't believe, I don't give a damn if they like him or not, but his supporters, that they would sit there and support that? What if it were one of their wives or their mothers or their sisters or their cousins or their friends, whoever, that was raped? Let's see how they like it when that happens. I mean, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But the fact that they can just sit there and smile like the grinning idiots they are and just clap and applaud that, that is ridiculous. This is not campaign rhetoric. This is just, uh, well, it's sleaze it is to be, begin with, yeah. but not to mention the fact that it's just crim- criminality as far as I'm concerned. And, okay, you know, well, then, all- listen, I, I want to I intervene because I want to read a little yes. bit of Donald Trump's statement he made today on Truth Social, the day he was deposed, because he is stupid and he is surrounded by people who are either lethal enablers, as incompetent as him, or people who secretly want to see him go to jail. 
you know, like his makeup artist, uh, he said, this Ms. Bergdorf Goodman case is a complete con job. I'm going to skip around, but he goes, uh, he goes, I don't know this woman, have no idea who she is, other than it seems she got a picture of me many years ago. She completely made up a story that I met her at the doors of this crowded New York City department store within minutes. It is a hoax and a lie. Uh, and then he goes, and while I am not supposed to say it, this woman is not my type. In other words, she's too ugly to rape. Now, let me, hang on, hang on. Let me finish. Let me finish. Uh, he says, it never happened. If you watch Anderson's Cooper interview with her, she was promoting a really crummy book. You'll see it's a complete scam. She changed her story from beginning to end after the commercial break. He just can't shut the fuck up, right? So here's the deal. He's in trouble now because of this, because of this posting on Truth Social. Because when she sued him, because as president, he said that she was too ugly to rape. So she sued him for uh-huh. defamation. And because he was president, he claimed executive privilege. And that means you, Keith, and you, Stephen, and me had to pay for his legal defense. Now he is a private citizen. And in this lawsuit, he posts this today. He has just opened himself up for more legal exposure for defamation. And he has no more protection of the government to help him this time. My God, this man is stupid. And if she's lying that bad, then Donnie shouldn't be afraid to give the DNA sample her lawyers have asked for. Well, well, maybe he'll he'll uh, start a new school for the sexually disabled. That seems to be up his. his uh, it seems to be his forte to begin with, you know. But on on the issue of the stuff with guys, Stephen. No, I'm writing down school for the sexually disabled. That's the series of pitch. Okay, go on, please. Well, with this stuff with Biden and the student cancelization and all of this, you know, I'm getting a little bit sick and tired of these whiny-ass crybabies out here that mm-hmm. want to sit here and talk about the economy. Let me tell you people something. Let's see mm-hmm. how you like it when you're in a dictatorship under the Republicans. You think it's bad now, honey? Let me tell you something. You're not going right. to get anything out of that. They will chew you up and they'll spit out your bones and not feel like goddamn thing afterwards. If you don't believe me, you look at what they did two years ago during this time. Just let Let's take a uh, let's take a stroll down memory lane, shall we? The fact that during this time they were prioritizing Amy Conan Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court over yep. providing unemployment relief for people That's that right. needed it. And by the way, the reason our economy is in the tank right now is because of COVID nineteen, and it's also because of the Trump tax cuts, and it's also because of OPEC's manipulation. This is what I'm talking about. And, you know, and I'm saying it, the fact is that right now I want to know, since they seem to be an expert on all this, you know, I hear Tim Ryan's opponent the other night talking about groceries. Okay, sir, then you tell me what it is exactly your party proposes to do, because when Biden has proposed the bills these last several months to combat the economy, what have they done? They have voted everything down. I know, but the the tragedy is that we now live in this era of niche news where you can run for office as a Republican and never, and I mean never, face any tough questions until debate night, because you can coast along from this right wing outlet to this right wing outlet to this right wing mm-hmm. outlet, only reaching the people who are already going to well, vote for you anyway, because there's an R after you know your what? name. But you know what, though? It's but at the same time, I understand that. But, you know, it's no excuse. You know, like that person trying to stop me from casting my ballot, by the way. I am going to be casting my ballot. I'm going early voting. So Mr. Mills, my attorney, will make sure that his balls are next to George Washington's false teeth in the Smithsonian once we get through with him, as far as I'm concerned. The fact that that he can sit there and try to shut me up, I warned them. I told them. 
that I have okay. a big mouth, and I've gone to the media about this, I have, and I'm going to tell you, they think Donald Trump is a drama queen. I've had acting experience. They, he will <laughs> Word, be bitch. You better fucking work. <laughs> he, he, he will... He will I tell you what, after I got through with them, they'll be too afraid to show their faces. And Stephen, I, I, I got to go. We have a lot of calls, but I want you to know this year I'm voting for you to be Rand Paul's neighbor. I'm doing you as a writing guy. <laughs> oh, I've already taken care of him. I had a few okay. things. To, I was going to run against him a couple of years ago, actually. I uh, put my, uh, my uh, platform online, and mm. I got some death threats I did, so that's why I didn't run then. Wow. But I was you deserve you deserve life idea. threats. You deserve life threats, Stephen. We we got to run, but I thank you so okay. much. It's lovely to hear from you. 866-997-4748. Am I right? Who? Oh, I live for that. <laughs> Talk us down, Sheila. The sass is real, baby. <laughs> oh, the sass is real. The sass is going to get you. Hi, Sheila. Hey, I'm dying. I'm crying. I don't know what's happened to my show tonight, but whatever's in the water, I want to chug some. But I wanted. Oh, this is probably not going to help because I was thinking Keith was like the first like piece of uh, cheese, homemade cheesecake, like right before you, like when you cut the first piece, right before mm. you put the caramel sauce. I was going to say something silly like that, but oh my God. Well, it's a good thing you didn't say something silly like that. What you doing? Yeah. You know I'm fat. Don't be talking about cheesecake now, girl. <laughs> I am. I'm talking about thinking about it and talking about it. But anyway, it's homemade, so anyway. Did you bring cheesecake um, for the entire class? Go ahead. What's on your mind? Yes, exactly. I will. Actually, my husband will. He will bring it for okay. the whole world if you would let him. But um, <laughs> today was my birthday, and I spent it at the DMV because it's Sheila, so wait, wait, wait. Today, today's your birthday? Yes, it Happy is. Birthday. And I'm wow. Thank you, and I'm this first part of the show, so I don't know who the hell I share it with. But well, I can I tell you who you share it with? Because you share it with my father. Sure. You share a birthday with the greatest man I ever knew, with my dad. He was born this date in 1933, and uh, so happy oh, birthday to you! October 19th is a very wow. important date in my life. Well, yeah. that is so great. That is so and cool. you also share exactly. it with with Robert Reed, the father of the Brady Bunch, who was born 90 years ago yes. today. That's pretty happy. Yes. Wow. I heard that part, but I didn't know your and dad. John Lithgow. Oh, John Lithgow, friend of the show, with him too, and uh, yes. Jennifer Holiday. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Jennifer. And I'm telling you, hey now, That's right. happy birthday. <laughs> We got to hit a break, Sheila. You have a comment about Harvey? Anyway, no, I just want yeah, I just want to tell everybody okay. just don't give up. Just fucking go vote, and, and don't right. listen to the bullshit. Just fucking right. go vote for what she you said, know, folks. You know who? Sheila, happy birthday to you. Go, go, thank go! You. Tell your husband that I said he's a lucky bastard, and thank you.